listening to a Called Collective podcast, where we seek to equip the next generation of ministry leaders. The Called Collective produces multiple podcasts, which you can find in the description below. To learn more about The Called Collective, visit our website at thecalledcollective.org or check us out on Instagram at The Called Collective. Good days. Welcome to the Good Days Podcast with Eddie and Charlie. Charlie, man, we've got like uh, NTS, never the same camp here at Indiana Wesleyan University. Last weekend, this week, which is yes. super cool. And uh, it's one of the best camps in the nation. We love the leadership at NTS. They do a fantastic job. And in fact, we've got a guest today. That's right. We have. Who is the founder the of The founder, NTS. the president. <laughs> yes, exactly. Jeff Eckert. The legend, Jeff Eckert. That's me. I that, forgot to ask you guys a question. Okay. Do you edit this, or is it just <laughs> we, whatever happens, we, happens? We, I should know that. Yeah. Um, we can edit it, uh, but we normally a, don't. There's a pause. There. All right. I'm good with just letting it roll. It's just good to know off it's, the top. It's fun. It's so really now our listeners know. The they here. know, hey. This is just real. This it's live. Real. We're, we're going. And yeah. our audience is youth ministry. That's yeah. our focus. Yeah. Okay. So, so we were just talking before we actually turned record. And how many years, Jeff, of ministry do you have? Just celebrated 30 years on June 20th. Charlie? 34 in August. 36 for me. That makes how much, Jeff? We Yeah, it's 100, exactly. 100, 100 years, years of youth ministry right here at this table. That's crazy. Amazing. Seasoned. Are there... Th- Not old. Weathered. Grizzled. Scott, <laughs> grizzled. Grizz, weathered. Grizzled. Haggard. Scott Simmons called us weathered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I like this... What is it? We say haggard, grizzled. Grizzled. Hey, but we all have our hair. We do. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's good. That's amazing. That's, that's good. I'm I mean, Doc is doing that thing where he frosts his tips. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I used to do that in San Diego all the yeah. time. Yeah. That was a thing, bro. This is natural. My, yeah, mine's natural the natural frosting. People pay for that. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> well, you know, as we dig into this podcast, what we want to do is go back. We want to take our listeners back to the last few nights because we have this thing, Doc, where at the end of the sessions, we ended up... You know, this is going on day five of late night hangout conversations with Charlie, Jeff, and Derek. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And just late into the night. I mean, a lot of positive conversations, a little bit arguing, you know, a little bit of banter. Man, thanks for inviting me. Appreciate (laughs) it. (laughs) But one of those conversations last night that went late into the night is how do we help people? How do we help those in youth ministry, student ministries? have that longevity. Mm-hmm. Derek Idol was on, Jeff, uh, a back-to-back with us. Mm-hmm. And he talked about some of his research, working on his doctorate, about some of the stats that come with with those who stay in ministry for a while, the good and some of the not-so-good is mostly positive. But uh, still, we want people to have this longevity. Mm-hmm. We don't want the revolving door. Yeah. And how do we help them do that? And this is a kind of a weird story where well, you can tell this one, Jeff, but uh, why don't you tell Doc about our conversation at a hotel 25 years ago? Oh, man. We were at a youth conference, and yeah, it was it was right around, we figured out it was probably right around the year 2000, mm-hmm. so it was from, wow. about was 23, 23, yeah, so about 23 years. years ago. You were in 
you were at Kentwood Community? I, I believe I was, yeah. And I went there at the end of 98. Mm-hmm. And I was at a church. I was at Skyline in San Diego. Yep. And yeah, we just, there's something about it. We got into a really long, deep discussion about the importance of this and how how much it makes a difference and how much we really resonate with ministry to students because it's like working with wet cement rather than adults. And we we just made a, a, a vow to each mm. other that we mm. would do this as long as we could and hopefully for a lifetime. And that was 23 years ago. And at mm. that point, I was into it full-time for five years. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was, it was, um, that was a very important conversation for me. Mm-hmm. And, and we've gone back to it many times, especially in the hard times yeah, where it's tough and you have to go through a lot. And I think, I think there's a, I think for a lot of people that get into, when they serve in a vocational ministry role, I think expectations are really what can set you up to win or mm-hmm. or fail. Mm-hmm. If your expectation, one of my expectations when I started was my senior pastor is going to really look out for me and mentor me and invest in me. And and I, I don't know why I thought that. I just thought it was an automatic thing, and then that never <laughs> yeah, happened. Well, why, did, why did you think yeah, that, Jim? I don't know. Why would a senior pastor invest in their <laughs> staff? I don't know. I don't, I don't understand. That's just kind of leadership 101 And right I was there. like, oh, yeah, we're going to be really good friends, and we're going to hang out. And we're going to do life together. Yeah. And and he's going to mentor me. And It was just kind of a separate, separate worlds. Mm-hmm. And then, so that expectation right there, so I, I was like, okay, I was kind of disappointed, dealt with that, just figured that was the reality, and mm-hmm. pretty much really that was, and I found that you just have to find your way, and you have to find people that you can connect and resonate with and invest in, and I think longevity comes from being invested in and then investing in others, and I always call it being in the middle. If you're in the mm-hmm. middle where there are people ahead of you that have gone before you, that you can listen to and learn from. Mm-hmm. And then there are people that you can invest in coming up behind you. And and that and that's if you're if you're just on your own, that that's I think that's one of the really key ingredients to be in ministry for a long time. And I think the other one, the first thing when when we you mentioned when we talk about longevity, the number one thing for me, I think it's a truism of life, but in ministry probably more than anything. And I think this is the number one thing for what will determine how how much you accomplish and how long you run in ministry is how you deal with hurt. Mm-hmm. How you if you if you crumble when you get hurt, if you implode when you get hurt, if you feel sorry for yourself and step away from the game and you you play the blame game, you play the victim. And listen, I know there's many people listening to this that are saying, yeah, but you don't know my situation. Yeah. And I don't. And I don't want to make light of anyone's, but I will tell you guys that more and more as time goes forward, the grievances that are knocking people out of ministry are smaller and smaller in scope, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. What would knock someone out in ministry 10 years ago is different than it is now. People now get their feelings hurt and they go, I'm out. Yeah, I'm done. And and when I talk with people, this this switch came about probably five or six years ago, but I've counseled hundreds of ministry leaders that have come to me and told me about how they've been hurt in ministry. And, and I'm very empathetic with them, and I listen, and I really feel bad for the situations. But then about five or six years ago, I thought, wait a minute, 
the th- most of the things I've heard, I've had something worse happen to me. Mm-hmm. And I know it's subjective, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you've, ex- I you've experienced a bit to an nth degree. Right, that. right. Yeah. So they're saying, well, this happened, and I'm thinking, well, man, I had that happen maybe multiple times or whatever. And I started asking this question. Are you going to allow this person, usually it's centered around a person, someone, and usually it's centered around someone mm-hmm. above them yeah. organizationally. Right. Are you going to allow that person to keep you from what God has called you to do, yes or no? I look him in the eye and ask him that question. It's a great and, question. And you can see the. it's like their point of reference changes because... When we're focused completely on ourselves and what happened to us, we could, we could, I could have something hurt me every day. And things do probably hurt me every day to some extent, but you just, it's what you do in those moments when you're hurt, I found that really guards your heart. And one other thing I would say too, I noticed this about 10 years ago. I started running in the national youth ministry circles with this network called Campus Alliance, and it represents every campus ministry in America, um, over 50 campus ministries and, and denominational leaders. school campuses. School campuses and also denominational leaders and parachurch mm-hmm. ministries, so like Dare to Share, We're in There, Never the Same, right. See at the Pole, a lot of other groups in there. And, and I noticed there was this cluster of leaders, and they were all, about 10 years ago, they were in their early 60s, so now they're in their 70s. And they were all still doing youth ministry, and they were all still very positive and optimistic. Mm-hmm. And I looked at that, and I, I, I like this 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 the optimism that they yes. still have in their seventies. And I thought, how many leaders do I know that the longer they go in ministry, the more uh, jaded they get, the yes. more cynical, bitter, the more critical, the more bitter. And I looked at these guys, and I really began to look up to them. And I've never even told them this, but I began to watch what they do how they, and my wife and I have this phrase that we use all the time around our house from Scripture, from Proverbs, guard your heart. Mm-hmm. Guard your heart. That hurt will come in. Someone will offend you. It's going to happen, but well, let what me, you do with it. Let me throw this out to you then. So go back 28 years ago as compared to today, and you're at a church, Jackson, Michigan, right? Yeah. And uh, you're early in it, you know, fresh, and there's there's got to be hurt and pain, but the level of responsibility you carried then pales in comparison to the level of responsibility you carry now. Yeah, you're a senior pastor at a church, as well as running this national youth ministry organization, as well as like you know leading the national prayer movement. Yeah, I mean, so does hurt like cost you more? Is it more uh, heavy? Is it coming from different? people and different vantages and, and places like Doc's saying. Yeah. And and what's hurt like now when you're carrying more responsibility? And should people think, hey, if, if God's going to use you, you should have your eyes wide open. Like in football, we talk about keeping your head on a swivel. Yeah. Yeah. So more responsibility you have for ministry to represent Jesus Christ, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Should they anticipate more opposition. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I think um, one thing, too, people don't like success. So they love to, like, yeah. take down 
people who are very successful, yeah. whether you're successful in youth ministry or parachurch or what you've done with NTS and, yeah. you know, claim your campus and some of those things. And so for some reason, there's something about us that we have a hard time just celebrating with others. Yeah. A lot of pride. And we all deal with it. You know, I'm not ex- we're not exempt, no, three of us, others. No. And that when pride and false pride comes into that, that really, man, that just sabotages good, pure mm-hmm. ministry opportunities. And yeah, I mean, the, the hurt does come from different places. And sometimes I, what I found is the hurt that comes from the inside, particularly like mm-hmm. as a as mm-hmm. a Christ follower, when it comes from within the church, when it comes from people that know you, when it comes from people that you grew up with, and like you said, Eddie, you start having opportunities for whatever reason, whether you created them or God gave them or some blend of both, you know, theologically, who knows? I don't know how that works, but um, when that starts happening and then people just kind of withdraw from you, and um, so you find yourself more and more kind of isolated. And so I found to find comfort in fewer people and really allowing yourself. I think one of the things that can happen is if you if you lose trust in everyone. You know, I've always said, hey, they may betray me, but I'm not going mm-hmm. to allow myself to become, because of past hurts, you know, you see patterns and things. And I just say, I choose to be vulnerable with people still appropriately. Mm-hmm. You know, the... The more influence you have, the more careful you have to be with who you entrust your heart with. But um, that that's definitely a, a part of it. And I think having someone, for me, by my side and my wife has been really yeah, helpful yeah. because... A, a spouse is amazing oh as you go through hurt. Yeah, we, we say often, like, when we go through really tough things, a lot of times we'll pray. I pray when we go to bed, and I'll say, you know, it's just you and me. You and me, baby. Like, no one else in the world will be there on when we're dying. Mm-hmm. It'll be our spouse and mm-hmm. our kids, and mm-hmm. that's it. That's right. All these people that you work with and love, and so if you're, if you're saying, well, this people, you know, this person maybe in ministry is using me for this or that reason. Well, you know, I mean, there's different ways to look at that. Mm-hmm. You know, you could. I mean, I. It's funny, different roles I get, all of a sudden I get different phone calls. You know, people that <laughs> never wanted to talk to you before that now go, well, man, I want to talk to Jeff now. It's like, and I used to think, well, psh, I'm not talking to you because you didn't want to talk to right. me when I was this. Right. And now I go, you know what? I'm going to take every opportunity I get. So yeah. even right there, that's the being, thing being for her. Op- open-handed, yeah. you know. Even those little moments where it's like, well, psh, they didn't care about me then. And that that's that's a moment where the enemy can come in and just allow that hurt to fester yeah. between me and another person. And I've just really tried to stay disciplined and not allow that to happen with anybody. I tell people, I have no enemies. Now, people may not like me, and there's a few of them out there, but but on my end, I don't have any enemies. Yeah. I my, love everybody. My heart's clear. Yeah. And I think if you're in ministry at any amount of time, you're going to experience significant hurt. That's just that's a reality. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, how, it's how do we deal with that hurt? What do we do with that hurt? And I can remember as a young pastor, just like you guys have been talking about, totally surprised, man. I had my shields up, ready for the battle for the world to attack me. And then when it came from inside the church internally, I wasn't ready for that. And it just really almost devastated me because it was this internal stuff. And I can remember one, one significant hurt that we experienced is this, this, um, this betrayal. You felt like it was such a betrayal. 
And the only way that we survived was um, Esther and I, my wife's name's Esther. We, we walked every day for three months and we prayed for that person and their marriage. We just prayed for them every mm-hmm. single day. And that changed it. It changed it from what could potentially become, turn into bitterness to actually compassion for that person. Yeah. And it, it made a difference. So how do we, I guess part of this, when you're dealing with hurt um, and, and longevity of ministry, how do you have some like tough skin and resilience, but also have this soft heart yeah. and open-handedness as we approach people? You, you just have to have a steely resolve that you are not going to quit. I, I think people have asked me in younger leaders, you know, like, how'd you, how'd you start NTS and how's it still going? And this is, this is the 24th summer that we've done NTS. And you know what I tell people is like, I don't think I'm the best leader out there, but the one thing about me is I'm stubborn and I just don't <laughs> quit. I just don't stop. And I think if you are willing to not stop, so if there's some, somebody listening today and they go, I want to be in youth ministry in a long time, but and this is another reason for longevity, financial issues get in the way, and I get that. And here's my advice to anyone listening in that particular circumstance is if you're really good and you're really talented and you give your all, trust me, the word will get out about you and you'll get bigger opportunities, which means in kind of really straight-up terms, like more money. Mm -hmm. Because I know, like, starting off in youth ministry— our first church, you mentioned Jackson, we went there and I was the worship leader and the youth pastor. And the, the churches that pay the best, in my experience, to their staff are churches between about 500 and 2,500 probably, because they're not overloaded with staff. So I was a church of 500. There's just two of us that were pastors at the time, and I was making good money. I didn't realize it right out of college. Mm. Then we had another opportunity to go and just focus on students, and they had their own student building, and this was in the 90s, and it was really neat, and Charlie's got roots with that place. Mm-hmm. And I went there, and I took a 50% pay cut. Oh, wow. And we were eligible for welfare. I remember saying to my pastor, we found that out because we wanted to buy a house, and we went in there, and they go, they just kind of patted me on the head. They're like, son, you know, you just don't have the income to do it. And, they, and we found out we're eligible for welfare, and I said that to my pastor, and here's his response. I go, did you know that we're eligible for welfare with our salary? And he goes, well, you're not taking it, are you? <laughs> I was like, thanks for the compassion. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> and Well, if you would up my salary, I wouldn't have to. I know. And, and I'll tell you, like, years of labor in that. So if you're there and you go, I want to do youth ministry, I can't afford it, I just believe that if you're really good at it, you'll be rewarded in that way. God will reward you. And it may be a while. And for us, it took a long time, but it's there. It will happen. You know, going back to our conversation last night, uh, um, and just for the listeners, when you hear what Jeff is saying right now, you go back to last season, and we did a, a podcast off the book Bait of Satan from John and Lisa Bevere that talks about how unresolved for unforgiveness will actually rot you, not the person who hurt you. So it's yep. learning how to forgive so that you're not mm-hmm. um, the one who's actually suffering yes. from that offense. That's right. And then kind of out of that, too, we pick up things along the road. But even driving in this morning, I heard this on the radio, sports radio, but this commentator talked about a commitment you know, that you have a, with a friend means very little if it's only based on convenience. Yeah. 
And so my question to you, even based, based on last night and our relationship and my relationship with Eddie and, and you and Derek, and there's those people that you trust with everything. Yeah. Very few, but I mean, you trust with everything. I literally can tell Eddie anything mm-hmm. and, and have confidence yeah. in him. So and in in that friendship in the mm-hmm. year, th- there's history, right? There's yeah. a lot of history, and so we have that trust that's built. Yeah. So if you go back to this, what would you say to people who are listening? It's like, hey, how do you develop and dear relationships with people you trust? Yeah. Can you identify them? Are they from your past? Were they college roommates, or do you think that God might even open the door to somebody that they never thought? would be that person. Yeah, it starts with a high character. You have to have, I, I really believe to have good, strong, healthy friendships over time. You have to, you have to both be people that have character. Mm. You know, when I, when I meet people for the first time, one of the first things, if I have a chance to talk with them and ask them questions just in casual conversations or meetings is I'll ask them, where are you from? How long have you worked at this job? How long have you been married? How long have you lived in the same house? How long have you been in that career? My questions are all about longevity because if people bounce around, if they go, well, I lived here two years, and then we went here, and then I went, and then in ministry, it's like, well, I was at this church for two years, and I went here for two years, and here for three years. And if that goes on and on and on, I think that really derails these kind of relationships because you're always starting over. And you're, and typically I found that you're running from something. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if, you have a, if you have a long friendship, you know, after a while, there are things you can't escape, you know, mm-hmm. that, that you know about each other. Just even not even necessarily that they're told, you just get them through osmosis. You see them, you go, okay, this is a pattern. This is the way they are. This is marriage is the ultimate example of that, yeah, right? Because, you, right. you know, there's no secrets. Um, but I think, I think hanging with people long term and, and them having character and willing to really develop that. And I think vulnerability, you know, mm. more and more people are dealing with hurts from their past, and I think it really comes down to, kind of sounds simplistic, but father wounds. Mm. For so many people, they have a, a father gap of some kind in their life, and that really does, that will impact the kind of relationships that they can have as well. Mm-hmm. So that's a couple things. Yeah, Ooh. that's good. Yeah, I, hey, I want to switch it just a little bit. I think another thing that can kind of knock us out of this longevity piece and and stop us from persevering and, and staying in the game is burnout. Um, what are some of the things that you have done to because especially when you're when you're juggling multiple things, that can yeah. increase the rate of burnout. So yeah. what are some things that you've done to kind of go, hey, I want to make sure I'm not going to get burned out. So I I have some type of work life family balance here so that I don't end up um, in a junk pile somewhere. Yeah. I think I, when I think about burnout, I think about two two kind of visual visualizations of that. One is running. When you're a runner and you're not used to running and you run the first few times, you're just you're sore, you hate your life, you're like, oh, I hate this. I don't want to do it. And you're not in shape. And then after you do it a while, it's amazing the capacity that you can have. You can go from, you know, couch potato to 5K in, you know, a month or two, and then, you know, you can work your way up from there. And I think a lot of times people are burned out, and this sounds weird because they're not doing enough. Mm. 
So some of it's capacity. It's learning to grow your capacity. Yeah. The other visualization is a rubber band. You don't know what a rubber band is capable of until it's stretched out. And I see a lot of people, especially young leaders, that are so, this sounds crazy, but overly concerned about burnout, that they're never stretching themselves to see what their capacity is. Because I, I think that I think that principle of the talents has to, I think there's a, there's a connection with burnout because this one had this amount of talents and then they went out and they invested it and they made more money. You know, talents are a monetary term and that, I think it's Matthew 25. And so they went back and they multiplied it. And I think that's what, if you're, you know, if you're always so concerned and if you're overthinking burnout to the point where you're, limiting yourself, I think that, here's what I would say, like, over over holiday breaks, for example, over Christmas break, when I get out of my routine, and I'm inside, and there's family over there, and we're watching ball games, and I'm eating all the time, I am so tired, and I'm doing nothing. Nothing. Mm-hmm. You're exactly you know? right. You know, and then I'm like, man, I got to get back into routine, and I, I really think that's what a lot of ministry leaders are doing, is they're just kind of hanging around, not doing much. And then they're like, man, I am so tired. I'm burned out. And I'm like... Not exercising. Right. Not be, taking care of their not, bodies. Not, not eating right. Not drinking water. All Couch that Couch potatoes, yeah. And, I, you know, and I, I just don't have any sympathy at this point. I'm like, man, I'm leading a church, leading a national youth ministry, leading the National Prayer Committee, largest coalition of prayer ministries and leaders in America, you know. And, and I'm still taking my Sabbath. I'm still mm-hmm. disciplined Good. about my time off. Good. So, you know, that's the other part. So, you know, coming out of the back way, obviously Sabbath is important. And people that, I remember uh, Wayne Schmidt, who's my senior pastor, he said, if I see someone coming into the church on their day off, which I think those days are long gone, you know, like no, nobody comes in their day off anymore. But, <laughs> but that used to be kind of the culture in ministry was, you know, people that were uh, workaholics. He said, if I, peop- if I see people, my staff coming in on their day off, I get concerned that they're not using their time wisely on their work days. Mm-hmm. So I so think that's what happens a their lot. Time. Yes. I yes. think people are I think people are working and they're not really focused. And then and then when things get sloppy, then it's like, oh man, I gotta I gotta make sure this is ready for this weekend or for my event. And you're coming in and you're cheating your days off. So the other thing I say is, like, I mostly work six days a week. Most pastors don't. I get it. The weekend is an American Western concept, not a biblical one. Mm-hmm. So people go, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I need two days off. It's like, well, maybe, and that's nice. But with all I have doing, I've just decided that I'm basically always going to be working six days a week. Mm-hmm. And I'm cool with that because I want to do as much as I can for the kingdom and because I'm taking my day off and, and Sabbathing every week and being pretty disciplined about that, then... You still feel re- renewed and... Yeah, I feel... Energized you know, to, like, I, tackle yeah. each week. I feel as... I feel... I mean, I feel basically the same amount of energy that I did 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I think people, too, that are listening should hear this as well, that this is an encouragement that you can handle more. Yeah. We believe that, that you can be better at what you're doing, that the best is yet to come. Not not condemnation, but, hey, you can do this, yeah. and we believe in you. Yeah. And so you got to get out there and stretch that rubber band a little bit yeah. and 
and get your legs. That analogy you talked about with running is so true. Yeah, Eddie, both and I have, have gone to rehab in this last two weeks. <laughs> yeah, literally physical yep. therapy because two. Because uh, we're getting uh, old, Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> the week before the first week of camp, I thought, you know, I'm gonna try to lose 25 pounds in one day. <laughs> you know, so in the morning, You're got inspired. ready. I did the, you know, these like kind of push up things, and I just went for like a jog, walk, run <laughs> until like. My knee is just on fire the next morning. Right. And it's like, uh, and you're right. I didn't work my way up to it. I thought, you know what? I can just, you know, I, I can just take off 25 today. Yeah. I just won't eat anything. I'll just sweat a lot. And I'll sprint out the door. That's right. Even though I haven't ran in and I, I three wasn't, years. That's a great analogy on ministry yeah. that, man, you've got to learn your rhythms and learn where you function. And, yeah. And, and grow, grow our capacity. Yeah. Grow your you know, capacity. That's, that's something that I think we all can, can work yeah. on. I think another thing that's really helped me with burnout, too, is I love what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm really right. passionate where God has placed me. And every job I've had, I've stated probably multiple times, I can't believe they pay me to do this. Yeah, right. Because this is fun. Yeah. I don't even see it as work. This is a blast. There's some, obviously, every every job we have, there's stuff that we don't like to yeah. do and we have to do it. But for the most part, I sit there and go, whoa, I've got the greatest job in the world. Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. And so when I come to work, it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. There, There's a different mentality, too. I think we were talking about this the other day, Charlie. I was talking with someone, but... I would say this too, like you may, a lot of people go, well, you know, my family's first. And I, I would always say that. I, I just, I think the pendulum right now is swung the other way where it's like, we're using so many reasons to not engage more in the work that we're doing in ministry. And, you know, I, I just, we just recently uh, had our last, our youngest graduate and you guys know our family really well. And mm-hmm. I, and I say this, hopefully with a really good pure heart, but I'm really proud of how we did as parents. Mm-hmm. You know, we raised all our kids up into adulthood now, and, and Sophie will be coming here to Indiana Wesley in the fall. And we were able to do all of that and raise our kids and and do everything. And so I think people think, well, I need to, if I'm going to be longevity in ministry, I have to just guard my family, keep them away. And we, we made a really conscious decision early on when our kids were in. We asked a lot of ministry couples, did you keep your kids kind of, did you shield them from ministry, or did you just take Include them with them. you and engage? Yep. And we included. We just mm-hmm. decided to do that for us. And I think that was a key decision for us, because I, I know a lot of people in youth ministry, and you never see the spouse, you never see the kids. And again, I, I'm not trying to judge you. I'm just saying for us— we found this all these teenagers that loved on our kids, and they got to travel the world literally mm-hmm. and meet people. And, and because we kept a really good, pure view of ministry, you know, mm-hmm. any of the negative things we shielded our kids from. But I, I want to say that in context of how we were doing it for a while in two settings. Number one, when I went to that church and took that big pay cut, we ran a youth center. We had a Wednesday night program for high school, and we had a, a, a parallel open gym night for middle school. I had to have two separate volunteer teams from mm-hmm. Wednesday night in two separate locations. We had a Sunday morning Sunday school program that was off-site that we had to shuttle students across town to get there. You know exactly. Yep. You guys know what I'm talking about. Did it at Ground Zero, same thing in San Diego. So we did that. So we had the staff, drivers, mm-hmm. and teachers— 
we had a Sunday night middle school program. We had a Tuesday and Thursday after school, three to five, where we had over a hundred kids consistently every day. Hmm. We had a with the whole separate staff there, and a, and what we called a fifth quarter Friday night after ball games during the school year. So we had five different staffs of volunteers. Mm-hmm. One youth pastor, mm-hmm. me, and when I hear people say we got one program and they're, and I wasn't buying curriculum either. Exactly, I was. Yeah. You're, you're right. You're writing content. it all. Yeah, I was writing everything, and and that's the era that that was. And yep. I, I'm grateful for curriculum and all that, and I think it's great. I really do. Uh, by the way, go to soulexercises.com if you want to see ours. Um, <laughs> but shameless plug. But I would say, like, for people that say, "Man, we we run our one program, and we do very few things, and we do it well." And I hear that a lot. And Simple Church came out several years mm-hmm. ago, and that really impacted. But I think I, I, I just look at people and I go, maybe I'm just from a different era. world and era, and I get that things change. But I just I think if one of the reasons ministries and youth ministries, the ones out there that aren't growing and struggling, and there's a lot, probably more than, mm-hmm. than are thriving, it's because people aren't willing to put in the work. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's important. Derek said the same thing in his podcast with us, and Eddie and I feel the same way. You can't get it all done in one service in one night. No. And it's a lot of time. If we don't have this argument, well, is it quality time with the student or gobs of time? It's gobs of time. Yes. Like it is with every human being. That's right. It doesn't mean that you have to burn out. No. It's just it's learning how to work. I have a countercultural yeah. view of time when I say to people, and they, they look at me like I'm an alien until I explain it, but I say, I think we're less busy than we've ever been. Busyness is such a, a trite statement. It's, it's lazy conversation. We go, man, I'm so, you're busy, I'm busy, we're all busy, blah, blah, blah. I brought my oldest daughter here to this college when she was looking at schools, and we went around and talked about 20 students, and I and we were in the car driving home, and I said, did you notice the thread? Every single college student told you the same thing today about their experience here. And she was like, what was that? And I said, they all talked about how busy they were. And then I asked her, how many hours do you think a college student is in class a week? And she was like, I don't know. And I go, how many hours in class are you a week now in high school? She was like, oh, 40. We figured it out. I go, a full-time, maxed out, you know, so to speak, college student hour-wise is in class 15 hours mm-hmm. a week. And, and her mouth dropped open. And I said, busyness is always people's excuse for not doing maybe things that they could or should be doing. And what, you know, I, I just tell people, I go, 80 years ago, doing a load of laundry could take one person most of the day. Now we throw it in a machine, we hit a button, we sit and we scroll on our phone for an hour, and we say we're busy. Don't give me that. Mm-hmm. We are. We have so many conveniences in our world. Yeah. We're less busy. The problem is we're, we're, we're just giving our time to other things that most of the time don't matter. Mm-hmm. So there's a way to do it. It's how, it's how we use I'm, our time. I'm really climbing on the soapbox here, but I'm just so no, passionate I, about I that. Think, I think it's really good. And one of the things I want to just um, reemphasize as well is this idea of we, we also decided that in ministry, our family's just going to be all in, you yeah. know, we're going to just take them and, 
it was the pack and plays that we were traveling, literally traveling these pack oh, and yeah. plays all over the world. Yeah. And, uh, we went on a missions trip to Jamaica, and, and uh, Trey was two weeks old, you know, on this missions trip to Jamaica. So from age yeah. two weeks to four weeks old, he's he's in Jamaica. I mean, we just say, like, we're, we're just going to all be in. And the, the amazing thing, because at, at the time, you're like, I don't know how this is going to go. But, but now that they're all adult children and you see what God has done in their heart, they're, they're not angry at the church. They love yes, the church. That's mm-hmm. right. They're not angry at God. They love God. Yeah. They, they're not angry at the ministry. They actually love ministry. And five of my seven kids are going into some form of ministry because they were exposed to this. And like you said, exposed to the world, exposed to people exposed to like heartbreaking situations. So they have a compassion for the loss. They have a passion for Jesus. And it's because I think we just included them in everything that we're doing and we're not going to shield them. Yeah, We're going to just embrace the glass house. And I love this whole thing. Even when I've had these disappointments or these hard times and our families had hard times, we've always come back and said, we've got Jesus. We've got each other. Yeah, And Esther and I, we have we have the two of us, and we've got our kids. Yeah, we're okay. Yeah, as long as those three things stay intact. Yeah, we have Jesus, we have each other, we have our kids. Yeah. If you're young listening to this, I think what you'll experience after 30, 34, 36 years are those moments where you go back to do a wedding, and it's <laughs> like a family reunion with that that group. Yeah. I mean, you know, and and all the kids that would babysit Emily and and. All the videos, if I go back and look at our videos from camps from the early 90s, you know, and, and we're using the music video, Settle Up Your Horses, you know, and and the, the we called it the squirrel cam or the cam, was the Nathaniel cam, you know, our, you know, our little kid running around, yes. you know, about yes. ankle high. Yeah, right. Yeah, these are yeah. good days, bro. Thank you, Jeff, yeah. for just yeah, Jeff. dropping some great truth. Yeah. Hey, wow. good having you, man. You guys are the best, and I'm... Anybody listening to this, I always tell people, share this podcast. There's the the leadership and the wisdom and uh, the pragmatic, practical side with the great philosophy of ministry. It, it's such a perfect blend with you guys, mm-hmm. and thanks for what you're doing. It's a privilege to be on here with you. Oh, thank you, Jeff. Good days, man. You're the best. Boom. Boom. And Boom. We would like to thank the School of Theology and Ministry at Indiana Western University for allowing us to use their podcast studio and their facilities. I also want to thank the Called Collective for producing all of our podcasts. The Called Collective seeks to equip the next generation of ministry leaders. To find out more information, visit thecalledcollective.org or check us out on Instagram at The Called Collective. Once again, thank you for listening to a couple of old guys Talking about ministry principles, we have over 70 years of ministry experience, and we'll see you next week.